Today on The Girl Defined Show, we're hitting the big three, romance, modesty, and femininity. Why are we talking about those if they're such secondary issues? Because truly, they point to the gospel. And these conversations are so often not being had amongst Christians for one reason or another. And so we're going to dive into them and see, okay, does God have something to say about these topics? Why are they important? And why does the gospel impact these areas? And why should we care about these areas as Christians? So if you've had questions about romance from a, a gospel perspective, modesty from gospel perspective, femininity from a gospel perspective, this conversation is for you, sister. Um, and I want to encourage you, if you're like, this is a waste of time, we need to just focus on the you know, the most central things, you need to stop talking about this, stick with me. Please don't give up on me. I promise you will benefit from this conversation, and I think you will be surprised at what I have to say. Stick with me. Let's jump in. <laughs> What's up, sisterhood? It's Bethany here. Unfortunately, Kristen is under the weather, so she's not going to be joining us. Um, That's another reason why this podcast came out a day later than normal. Uh, But I decided, you know what? It's just me here, and I might as well go for the big one. (laughs) I might as well go for a really hard conversation. And if it goes poorly, then I'm to blame. Kristen won't have to take any of the for this conversation. Um, But this truly is an area, the romance, modesty, femininity, um, that I think there are areas that are really important that we often neglect because they're hard to talk about. We don't want to get like dogmatic and so black and white on these issues, but then we don't want to get like, okay, pretend like they don't matter at all. So sometimes we just ignore them. Um, I know Kristen and I have felt this big tension of how to talk about these things in a way that is Christ honoring and grace filled and, you know, full of humility and not so black and white in areas of scripture that aren't exactly black and white, but it's, the Bible still talks about it. Like, wow, you know, it just feels a little bit psycho and crazy and like, okay, let's just not talk about it, but we can't. We need to talk about it. So we're going to. And, um, I know a lot of you have, um, reached out to us in the past asking us either to talk more about these things or to talk less about these things. We've had a wide variety of you request literally polar opposites, like some like stop wasting your time on these topics like romance, modesty, womanhood, you know, keep the focus on the gospel. Your, your, you know, site should be all about just how to love Jesus more. Stop talking about these secondary issues. And then others of you are like, it's really confusing out here. Please talk more about romance, modesty, femininity, these kind of like not gospel necessarily issues. Like it's not about Jesus and the cross, but like they matter and Jesus talks about them. And so I have something interesting for you today because I do think that all of these areas actually point to the gospel, and I think they only matter because of the gospel. Um, And so I hope that this conversation is insightful for you, and I hope you walk away with a new perspective of romance, with a new perspective of modesty, with a new perspective of femininity. And I pray that you leave with just like, I don't know, a renewed hope that it's possible to live out these areas in a Christ-centered way and walk, um, you know, walk and live as a Christian woman um, in a way that you feel more confidently points to Christ and reflects His just holiness and just grace and purity and all of that. So, that's where we're going. But before we jump in, I want to make sure that you have had a chance to grab a copy of Not Part of the Plan, Trusting God with the Twists and Turns of Your Story. Um, some of you may have read it, some of you may have not, but it's the newest book that Kristen and I have just released literally like a month and a half ago. And this book is so personal. It's like us having a conversation at coffee with you or tea, whatever your take is, and us just unpacking like why it's so difficult to trust God, us opening up our lives and sharing the last 15 years and saying, hey, here's where we've struggled to trust God. Here's where our disappointments, failures, unmet 
you know, expectations, unfulfilled longings. Here's ours. What's yours? Where are you struggling to trust God? Do you have bitterness towards God? Do you have bitterness towards scripture? Do you have bitterness towards others because life isn't or didn't go the way that you wanted? Have you been hurt by someone? Have you hurt someone? All of that we unpack and not part of the plan. And we teach you from a biblical perspective how to love God more, how to deal with worry, anxiety, fear, stress, all of that. We unpack that. So grab a copy of Not Part of the Plan, Trusting God with the Twists and Turns of Your Story over at girldefined.com slash trust, girldefined.com slash trust. Okay, so like I said, we've had comments over the years um, from Christian girls who've expressed their concern to us at Girl Defined Ministries, asking us why we waste time writing about secondary issues rather than keeping the focus exclusively on the gospel. And some of these young women and women have expressed disappointment that we take time to talk and speak and write about minor issues like romance, dating, modesty, and you know, femininity. The list goes on. They say we should only talk about Jesus and nothing else. And I understand like where they're coming from because I get Jesus is the central character of the Bible. He is the most important person. He is the reason he, without him, we have no hope. Like he is everything. 100% get that. Yes, agree fully. Without him, nothing else matters. And so that should be the gospel should always infiltrate everything that we talk about. I just want to reemphasize that as Christian women, our focus should be ultimately on loving Jesus and loving others. Like, yes, absolutely. Please hear me say that. Loving Jesus and loving others are the greatest commandments in scripture. We see in Matthew 22, 36 through verse 40. Um, and I, I want to encourage you, if you um, are able to, like when we're going through this, I'm going to be particularly today pulling up a lot of scripture passages. And so I'm going to take a little bit of time each time to look look them up. I'm going to try to go really fast for you so you don't have to wait around, but I'm going to be pulling up on my phone all of these different scripture passages. And I would encourage you, if you have the time, like don't take my word for it, look these passages up yourself. So the per- first passage that we're going to is Matthew 22, 36 through 40, which I just want to reemphasize, loving Jesus and loving others are the greatest commandments. Yes, absolutely. We see that in Matthew 22, verses 36 through 40, which says um, the great commandment, you know, is kind of like where we're going with this. But when the Pharisees heard, let me start with the verse 34, but when the Pharisees heard that he had silenced the Sadducees, they'd gathered together and one of them, a lawyer, asked him a question to test him. Teacher, which is the great commandment in the law, talking to Jesus? And he said to him, so Jesus now talking, you shall love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. On these two commandments depend all the law and the prophets. So you'll see the great commandment. You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, and with all your mind. This is the great and first commandment. And a second is like it. You shall love your neighbor as yourself. So 100% agree with you, girl. We are on the same page. This should be the engine that drives everything else in our lives. 100%. If we do not have this as our foundation, loving Jesus and loving others, like (laughs) we are not living out the greatest commandment. We don't understand the gospel. We don't understand like the foundation of scripture. So this should be the engine that drives everything else that we do. However, however, I will say this, loving Jesus and loving others isn't just a passionate feeling. So when you think like, Jesus, I just love you. Yes. Like, no, loving Jesus isn't just a passionate feeling. Yes, feelings and passion. We see that in the Psalms go with it, but it's an action. True love for God should result in a heart that ultimately leads to life change. 
People don't know we're Christians by our inner desires. They're no, they know we're Christians by the fruit of our lives. And we see that in John 15 and in Romans 12, 9 through 21. So we're going to hop on over to Romans really quick. Like I said, um, I'm going to be pointing to scripture. So if you um, are not interested in hearing scripture, like please uh, stick with me. Like you can do it. So I want to read marks the marks of the true Christian where we, you know, the fruits of the life, like not just an inner desire, like I love you, God, but like what does that actually look like? And this all points to the conversation for today. I have to set it up this way. So Romans 12, 9 through 21 says, let love be genuine, abhor what is evil, hold fast to what is good. And I want to show you how why love is more than just an intense emotion or feeling. Love one another with brotherly affection. Outdo one another in showing honor. Do not be slothful in zeal. Be fervent in spirit. Serve the Lord. Rejoice in hope. Be patient in tribulation. Be constant in prayer. Contribute to the needs of the saints and seek to show hospitality. Bless those who persecute you. Bless and do not curse them. Rejoice with those who rejoice. Weep with those who weep. Live in harmony with one another. Do not be haughty, but associate with the lowly. Never be wise in your own sight. Repay no one evil for evil, but give thought to to do what is honorable in the sight of all. If possible, so far as it depends on you, live peaceably with all. Beloved, never avenge yourselves, but leave it to the wrath of God, for it is written, Vengeance is mine, I will repay, says the Lord. To the contrary, if your enemy is hungry, feed him. If he is thirsty, give him something to drink. For by so doing, you will be, you will heap burning coals on his head. Do not be overcome by evil, but overcome evil with good. So why am I reading that to you? Because that is literally in Romans what we see laid out as marks of a true Christian. It's not saying, yes, just love Jesus and that's it, you know, have this feeling. No, it's saying here are marks of a true Christian. Here's the fruit of what should come out of a Christ-transformed life and heart. I mean, we see Jesus when he came, his life was filled with actions. He was specifically doing what it meant to be the ultimate, like, sacrificial lamb, the ultimate, like the gospel, but the ultimate act of true love. What did he do? He was constantly, while he was on earth, having these actions that showed what his his heart and mind were all about, ultimately laying down his life, the ultimate action of all and what we're all called to do as well. So as followers of Jesus, we reflect the gospel and show our love for Christ through our heart-transformed actions. I hope that we're all on the same page at this point and we're not feeling confused. Um, I don't want you to hear me saying that our, you know, salvation is by works, anything like that. That's not what I'm saying. I'm saying as followers of Jesus, those who have trusted in Christ for our salvation, we reflect the gospel and show our love for Christ through our heart transformed actions. That's exactly what we just read in that passage in Matthew, what it looks like to show true love. I'm sorry, that passage in Romans. Um, the Bible refers to these actions as good works. So we don't need good works to get to heaven, but the Bible says after you've trusted in Christ as your Savior and He has transformed you from the inside out, you should have good fruit. You should have good these actions as good works, you know, overflowing in your life. So if we go to Matthew 5, 16, it says, uh, Matthew 5, 16, in the same way, let your light shine before others so that they may see your good works and give glory to your father who is in heaven. So this is a like 
post-salvation, we are now living out, walking out our faith and saying, hey, here, as a result of what Christ has done in me, I am going to live differently. I am going to follow Christ. I'm going to follow his word and live out what he has commanded, not for my glory, not so people can say, wow, look at her. Look how she, you know, look how she handles her relationships. Look how she dresses. Look how she, you know, lives as a Christian woman. No, it's not about you. It's so that others will see your good works and give glory to your Father is in heaven, who is in heaven. So our actions, words, and choices should reflect the image of the one we're called to bear, Christ. And since we are image bearers in all things, these secondary issues that we're about to dig into, they matter. We reflect Christ in every area of our life. And so I would argue that issues like romance, love, modesty, and femininity actually only truly matter because of the gospel. Our choices in these areas, why does it matter? Every matters because It matters because everything we do is now to point others to Christ and to reflect Christ and to say, hey, I do these good works not so that you can see me and say, wow, look how amazing you know Bethany is, but to say, look at Christ. I live differently so that you will see Christ, not because I'm walking this out in pride and because I want eyes on me, because I want people to say, look how different she is. No, I live differently because of Jesus. Um, And so I would say because of Christ and his work on the cross, we are made new. We are transformed. We've been given a new identity. Sister, as a daughter of God, you have been given a new identity. As his child, you are called to honor and glorify him in every aspect of your life. Titus 3 talks all about how our good works as believers should be an overflow of our salvation. So do you see the difference? It's not good works to get salvation. Good works as believers should be an overflow of our salvation. It's an overflow of Christ's transforming work inside of us. So as Christian women, we should strive after good works in every area of our lives, not to earn our salvation. I'm going to say that a thousand times, not to earn our salvation, but to live out the impact of our salvation. And you know, that's exactly why Kristen and I wrote on all of these sort of topics in our book, Girl Defined, God's Radical Design for Beauty, Femininity, and Identity. And this is actually our best-selling book. It's our most popular book. Even though it's the first book we wrote, it's still our best-selling book to this day and the book that people are still most interested in and that we get the most interview requests on because people want to know about God's radical design for beauty, femininity, and identity. And in our book, Girl Defined, we address a lot of these topics. We unpack like beauty issues, how to interact with guys, success, treatment of family, um, how to live your lives as a female. And we we unpack how all of this directly impacts our testimony of the gospel. So if you want to take the deep dive, I'm just scratching the surface here, but we unpack all of this so deeply with tons of great resources and sites all in our book, Girl Defined. You can find that on Amazon, wherever books are sold, um, or just go to our shop, girldefined.com, girldefined.com slash shop. But I really encourage you to take the time to read Girl Defined. Okay, so let's take a quitch, quick, a quitch. What's a quitch? I hope that's not a real word because I don't know what it is. Let's take a quick look at each area. I feel like I need to take a deep breath. and I feel like you do too because we're way about to go deep, girlfriend. Um, I do just want to say like personal testimony here. Um, a lot of you know I got married three years ago to Dave, my amazing husband. We now have a little son, Davey Jr. Little, he's a little toddler. He'll be two in February. He's just the sweetest, most adorable thing in the world. If you don't, know what he looks like or you haven't seen him, go to my personal Instagram account at bethany.beal, B-E-A-L, and you can just let me know if you think he's the cutest thing you've ever seen because I think he is. (laughs) Um, But I just want to tell you that 
my life has been so transformed and so changed as I have studied how the gospel impacts every area of my life, how the gospel impacts motherhood, being a wife, um, marriage, sex, everything. Like it has literally changed me. And as I've studied and as I've dug deep, I, you know, Kristen and I, we've both put this out in podcasts. We've put what we've learned in books. You know, we have Girl Define, we have Love Define, which talks all about guys, romance, relationships. Then we have sex, purity, and the longings of a girl's heart, unpacking how the gospel impacts sex and our desires. Like it's all connected, y'all. Like the gospel impacts everything. God isn't afraid of romance. He's not afraid of modesty. He's not afraid of femininity. Like y'all, he created and invented clothes. He created male and female. He created us differently. He created romance. He created marriage. He created sex. He created everything. Everything was marred at the fall by sin, but then the gospel came to reclaim and change and transform us. And one day, all things will be made new. And one day, every knee will bow and we will be before our Father in heaven. And we will be in that perfect worship of Him. And everyone will know that He is Lord and it will be, you know, our, we will be living out that worship of him in perfect, you know, satisfaction. But right now we live in that in-between space and we wrestle with living in a fallen world, living in a fallen body, having sinful hearts, but being redeemed. It's just hard. The tension is real, but I want you to know that this is what the world is missing. The gospel. This is why they can strive and they can have it all, but it never seems to be enough. This is why, sister, it's because of the gospel. Because of, what do I mean by the gospel? It's because of Jesus and how he came to earth, lived a perfect life, died on the cross, rose again, conquered sin and death, and now is seated at the right hand of God. And it's the hope that we have. It's what changes us. It's what impacts our lives. It's that purpose that everyone is searching for. The gospel is it. So as we dig into each area, true love, romance first, and why the gospel matters. I want, I hope that you'll see, you know, that it's not just like a Hollywood made up thing, but it's actually something that God, Christ cares so much about. Okay. So true love and the gospel. I'm a talker. I can talk all day. So I have to keep myself on track here. Okay. True love and the gospel. Hollywood's Hollywood. Can't even talk. Hollywood's version of true love is often rooted in strong feelings. Now I want you to do you agree? Do you do you disagree? Think of the last, you know, 10 movies you've seen. And I know for me, that's often the case. What I see come out of Hollywood, that true love is often rooted in strong feelings. If the strong feelings lead eventually, leave eventually, it's often said like you've fallen out of love, you're no longer made for each other, either separate, get divorced, whatever. But God's definition of true love is rooted in genuine actions, in genuine actions. Let's look at John 13. So if you have your Bible, go ahead and turn there with me. Let's look at John 13, 35, which says, let me find it here. Um, It says, by this, all people will know that you are my disciples if you have love for one another. And so biblical love doesn't hinge on someone, what someone else does or doesn't do for you. It's not based solely on a feeling. It's based on your own personal choice to give love. We just saw that in scripture where it said people will know you by your love for one another. So it's an action. It's like, you know, this self-sacrificing love that Christ has given to us. So Hollywood, it's just strong feelings. Biblical love doesn't hinge on what someone else does or doesn't do for you. It's based solely on your own personal choice to give love. And as we've talked about already, no person in all of history demonstrated this type of love better than Jesus himself. 
Romans 5, 8 reveals this powerful love when it says, but God shows his love for us in that while we were still sinners, Christ died for us. So God's recipe for true love is rooted in selfless action and undeserving grace. Biblical love has the power to change lives, restore relationships, and draw you closer to your family and friends. So putting others above ourselves and choosing to show true love to them is exactly what Christ demonstrated through his death on the cross. If we take God's version of love into our romantic relationships, our family relationships, friendships, and marriages— marriages, marriage, we will display the gospel in a profoundly impactful way. And we will be living out true biblical Christ-sacrificing love. And there are, we don't have time to go into it right now. We unpack like the different like types of love, eros, phileo, you know, all of that in our book, Love Defined. Um, So if you want to take a deeper dive there, go there. But ultimately, what kind of love did Christ show for us? He showed us a self sacrificing agape type of love. And that is ultimately a gospel-centered love, agape love, gospel-centered, self-sacrificing sort of love. And that is the type of love that should impact our romantic relationships, this true love. It's not just a strong feeling. It's a self-sacrificing sort of love. It's saying, you know, like Christ says in in John, that passage we just read, you will know them by your love for one another. Shouldn't that impact our romantic relationships, our marriages more than anything, that they will know you by your love, this gospel-centered love? And it's just not the man or, you know, toward the woman or the woman toward the man. It's both saying, hey, I'm going to love you in this agape sort of way. Just like Christ loved me, I'm going to, through the power of the Holy Spirit, extend that into to you. And that's why love, according to the Bible, is so much deeper than feelings. It's so much deeper than personal preference. It's so much deeper than just what I want. It's so much deeper than just how I feel. It's like God unpacks what true love is is in the Bible. And ultimately, the gospel is the ultimate expression of true agape love. And so if you don't understand the gospel, how can you truly live out that gospel-centered love? One, we don't have the power within ourselves to love that way. We need the power of the Holy Spirit. And two, how can you live out something you've never seen and don't understand? And so that's why it's important for us to realize the gospel isn't just like, okay, I believed that and good to go, got my ticket. Like, no way, girl. The gospel impacts everything. And it's something that we need to meditate on and reflect on regularly because it impacts every area of our lives. Are you ready to talk about modesty? Because <laughs> I sure am not. <laughs> this is a, got to switch positions for this, probably get a sip of coffee. Where's my coffee? Um, if you head on over, I'll link it below, but Kristen and I recently did a video on our YouTube channel, youtube.com slash girl defined on basically how our mod- our views on modesty have changed over the years. And I just want to say upfront, like, my view on modesty, I think for a long time was, I had a heart that wanted to be gospel centered, but I'm a very black and white kind of person. I'm like, tell me what to do. I'll follow it right or wrong and very pride filled sort of way. And I've, you know, God has been gracious to start to reveal that to me more and more. Um, but I think that my views on modesty were much less about, um, I don't know, glorifying God and living for him and having my, you know, outward expression be a way that I can point to Christ and more of like, this is a right or wrong sort of thing. And this is, this is like, I don't know. I, I think I added to scripture a lot and didn't just live out because we all will have different convictions in these areas, obviously, because it's, you know, a little bit gray, but. I think I turned that into like, this is the, you know, super important and the most important thing. And I think I lost Jesus, lost the gospel, and it became kind of all about Bethany. So 
That's my honest confession. Um, I do think that God has changed my heart in this way like big time. Dave's been super encouraging in this area to help me have a more gospel-centered perspective. And it's not, you know, ditching. You don't throw out, like you don't just swing from one ditch to another, you know? Like, I think that's what we see a lot of people doing, especially like nowadays is like, oh, I grew up conservative or I grew up hearing that, you know, like modesty is like the number one defining factor of being a woman. And so I'm just going to throw it out altogether. Like, no. So I think we need to recenter on the gospel and then have the gospel reinform how we live. Um, so that's what I'm striving to do. And that's what I encourage you to do as well. So modesty and the gospel. And I want to take you back in time a little bit because this was crazy to me when I first realized this. Clothes did not exist before sin entered the world. Clothes did not exist before sin entered the world. There was no shame and no reason to cover our nakedness. But from the time God killed the animal in the garden and covered Adam and Eve, you can see that in Genesis 3, clothing became a symbol and foreshadow of our need to be covered by Christ's righteousness. <laughs> if that was really confusing to you, hear this out, hear me out, okay? Just like Adam and Eve needed God to cover their shame, we need Christ to cover ours as well. And that is why Christ had to shed his blood on the cross to clothe us in his righteousness and to save us from our sins. And so clothing is so much more than just being modest. Clothing, let me say that again, clothing is so much more than just being modest. Clothes are a powerful picture of the gospel. And I had never thought of this this way until I think I wrote when I was researching for Girl Defined, God's Radical Design for Beauty, Femininity, and Identity. We have we talk all about this in there, so grab a copy of Girl Defined. Um, but this whole idea that clothes are a powerful picture of the gospel, that our clothing is a constant reminder of our need for Christ. Our clothes are a reminder of what Christ did for us and the price that he paid for our sin. Our clothes remind us that a day is coming when Christ will return again and make all things new. So when we begin to view clothing from that lens, covering our nakedness makes so much more sense. Wearing clothes started back in Genesis, um, you know, as like just like that we just read Christ offering a covering, a, a, a symbol of what was to come that Christ in the future would cover us with his righteousness. So clothes started back in Genesis and should continue until we're ultimately perfected in heaven with God. And so although the Bible doesn't give us black and white standards for modesty, we should all care about this area of our lives because God does. God cares about this area of our lives. I actually wrote an entire blog post on this a while ago called The Naked Truth About Why We Wear Clothes, and it was really helpful and unpacks this in a deep way. So I'm going to link it below, and I really encourage you to go read that. There are a couple other like um, articles and podcasts that we've released, another one on the true, like with the romance, true love, what it is and what it isn't. I'll link that article as well, because we just don't have time to fully dig into this. But I don't want to get into like the nitty gritty of, okay, so what should I wear? What shouldn't I wear? What's too low? What's too high? What's not enough? What's too much? You know, all of that. That's not the point. What I want you to see is that clothes didn't come out of nowhere. Remember, Adam and Eve tried to cover themselves with fig leaves, but it wasn't enough. 
the first bloodshed was made when God had to get animal skins for them and cover them. What they did wasn't enough. Blood had to be shed. They needed a covering. And from that point on, humans needed clothing. But it wasn't just about that moment. It wasn't just because all of a sudden, like, oh, you're naked. Now you realize it was that God was offering a reflection of what was to come. They had animal skins then to clothe them. Blood was shed as a payment for their sin in a sense, like a symbolism kind of, but ultimately Christ would come and he would come and shed his blood to give us hope and um, a freedom and a way to be freed from the bondage of our sin. But ultimately, we're still in this world. We're still in this fallen world. And so although we're clothed in the righteousness of Christ, our clothes are that reminder. Um, we're not perfected yet. Um, we have the hope and we have the restoration of the Holy Spirit's work within us. But ultimately, we will be perfected one day in heaven. And so until then, our clothes are a gospel reminder of our need for Christ, that we don't have what it takes, that we're broken just like Adam and Eve, that we, that we deceive ourselves, that we do things often that are against God's word, that we don't seek to put him first, that we don't trust him. All of that is so true about us. But what's also true is that Christ died for us and he offered us a covering, covering so much greater than clothes even, a covering that ultimately covers our sin and brokenness and ultimately wakes, makes a way for us to be perfected one day in heaven and to have hope and eternity with him. So when you get dressed in the morning, when you look in the mirror and you have clothes on, it's not just random. Like, why do people all over wear clothes? Why are there like laws where you can't just like run around naked? Like, why? People don't understand. It's because it's like, oh, well, you know, it's wrong. It's, you know, whatever. And then some people are like, no, we should be able to be naked wherever we want. Like, why is there such a struggle? Because if we go back to Genesis, we can see there was a time where Adam and Eve were naked and unashamed. And then you go through and you see exactly what happened. Like, this should inform us, y'all. This should change the way we view things. Like, this matters. And that's why modesty matters for both men and women. That's why it matters because it matters to God because he is the one who originally clothed us and he had something to say about it. And it ties back to the gospel in one day that will all change. But right now we're in that in-between. So sister, that is why modesty matters. That's why romance matters. And that's why femininity matters as well. I know we're just tackling like, you know, like I said, some of the biggest sip a coffee, coffee break, folks. Um, that's why it all matters. So um, if if we get kicked off the podcast, maybe, you know, for <laughs> controversial views, maybe they'll just kick me off and let Kristen stay. Um, but this stuff matters too much to be silent on it. Okay, so femininity and the gospel. So let's go back to the beginning again. In the beginning, God created Adam, God created Adam and Eve and intentionally made them to be male and female. We see that in Genesis 1 and 2. Again, we unpack this fully in Girl Define, God's radical design for beauty, femininity, and the um, beauty of femininity and identity. I encourage you to grab a copy at girldefined.com slash shop or wherever books are sold. Y'all, Girl Defined, the book will radically change your life. It will change your view on modesty. It will change your view on femininity. It will change your view on identity. It is so timely for our day. We like, I cannot encourage you to read that enough. Like, please go grab a copy. 
um, it will change your life. Um, so Genesis 1 and 2, we see that God created male and female. We see that God made the male first, and then he fashioned Eve, and he created her as a helper fit for him, and that they complemented each other so well. And it was just this beautiful creation. Um, and in that perfect moment, they weren't arguing about it. They weren't like, why, why am I a male and he's a female? Why am I a man and a woman? Like, why do our bodies look different? No, they rejoiced in God's beautiful diversity and the way that he created them for each other. They loved it. It was beautiful. It was amazing to see the female that everything was good, except it wasn't. Something was missing, and God fashioned and made woman, and then it was very good. Y'all, it's so beautiful to think back on that, but we have fallen far from that time. Like, being a female today has a ton of significance because of that original act of God, y'all. God purposefully, intentionally, and with forethought invented the woman, you, to be totally different from the man. Hear this, equally valuable, but purposely different. You, sister, are equally valuable to men, both made in the image of God, both fully loved, both fully um, individually in need of the gospel, both fully redeemed. You were created to be totally different from the man, though. Yes, both image bearers. Yes, both, you know, children of God, but completely different in such a beautiful way. So in order to give you a, you know, and me a small glimpse of God's divine nature, he carefully crafted the human race to be a reflection of his personal image. Genesis 126 talks about this. He, God, designed the man and woman to display the glory of God in ways that are unique to each gender. We have such a creative God. He designed us to be equally valuable humans with two different roles and purposes in this world. We're called to glorify God by serving Him in ways distinctly designed for our female gender. So when we embrace and live out biblical femininity, which you can see all in Titus 2 and Proverbs 31, we also see in the New Testament, you know, in the differences of marriage, when we live that out, when we stop trying to be the same, but when we live out and embrace and celebrate those differences, we glorify God and put Him on display. And we say, and just like we read earlier, I'm going to live in a way that doesn't bring glory and honor to me, but glory and honor to God. But when we want to be all about ourselves, when we want to name ourselves, when we want to say, I get to say who I am, we start to put the glory on ourselves and we make it all about us. But ultimately, that's what it was never about. Ultimately, Adam and Eve were created to be in relationship with God, to glorify Him, to use their lives, their bodies, their minds, everything to glorify and to be in relationship and to enjoy what God had created. Same for us. Yes, we're fallen and broken, but we need to remember that. We need to remember that we were created for God's glory. We need to remember that we were created to know Him, that we were created to use what He has given us to glorify Him. So instead of fighting against this and saying, but I don't like this. I don't feel this. I am struggling. We need to say, yes, that may be true, but ultimately, who are you, God? Who do you say I am? We've talked about this in depth um, on the podcast. We'll link several episodes below. But like I said, we take a deep dive into all of this in our book, Girl Defined, God's Radical Design for Beauty, Femininity, and Identity, which I strongly encourage you to grab. Um and you can get that at girldefined.com. So when we dig beneath the surface, we quickly see that topics like love romance, modesty, and femininity are so much more than just backburner issues. Like 
like issues we shouldn't talk about. Like, I hope you see how important these issues are because God cares about every area of our lives and calls us to glorify him in how we navigate each area. So embracing a biblical understanding of love, romance, modesty, and femininity isn't so much about us as it is about us living a redeemed life that reflects the God who saved us. God cares about my heart, God cares about your heart, and God cares about our actions. That's why James 2, 14 and 26 say, what good is it, my brothers, if someone says he has faith but does not have works? For as the body apart from the spirit is dead, so also faith apart from works is dead. The way we live our life in small and big areas matters. And that's exactly why we tackle secondary issues here at Girl Define. They're not the most important thing. We've spent the entire time talking about that. And I know, I just know it. Someone's going to be, you know, like, misunderstand and, you know, even though I've said a million times, like salvation is salvation. We do not need works, but after salvation, we are changed and our life overflows with good works as our sacrifice and service and love back to God. But still, there's going to be some of you who are going to be like, girl defines us. We have to have works to get to heaven. Like, no, if you're saying that is because you literally do not care what I've just spent the entire time talking about how the gospel is the most important thing. So misunderstand me if you want, but... <laughs> Like we talk about these issues because they matter to God, because the gospel impacts every area of our lives. And the way we live our lives as Christian women is a daily opportunity to put the gospel of Jesus on display. Listen to that, sister. The way you live your life as a Christian woman is a daily opportunity to put the gospel of Jesus on display. And so I would love to hear from you. Um, if you're, you know, if you had, you know, follow us on Instagram, head on over there at Girl Define, leave a comment. I want to know how has the gospel impacted your own life in areas like love, romance, modesty, and femininity. I want to know specifically how the gospel has impacted these areas of your life. And sister, I've said it like five times already, but please grab a copy of Girl Define, God's Radical Design for Beauty, Femininity, and Identity. I know life can be expensive. I know there can be a lot of bills to pay, but I want to encourage you to grab a copy of this book because it will change your life. It will literally transform like who you are, how you think, because it takes scripture, unpacks it, and shows you how to live that out in our modern day, like how to be a Christian woman in 2021 and going into 2022. Take the time to read it. It's available on audio version. You can get that on Amazon Christian Audio. It's available in ebook version. Um, you can literally get it all over the world. We ship from our shop, girldefined.com slash shop all over the world. I cannot encourage you enough to grab a copy of Girl Defined. It will change your life because it's rooted in scripture and points back to scripture and helps to unpack what scripture says. It also brings in input and wisdom from the most godly women that we know. Um, so I encourage you to grab a copy at girldefined.com slash shop. And please, if you enjoyed this episode and you want more like it, please leave us a five-star review if you're able. It really helps the message spread. We need your review. If everyone listening right now left a review, just click that five star. It would make a massive difference. Thanks so much for listening, sister. I hope that you were encouraged and I hope the gospel is on the forefront of your mind today as you seek to live Christ and point others to him. Love you. Bye.